This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network, we are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site. On the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 football. We got a really special show for you today. We're going to preview National Letter of Intent Day, National Signing Day here the first Wednesday in February. We got Blair Angulo, who's a recruiting analyst for 24-7 Sports, covering the Mountain and island regions, which means he gets to go to Hawaii. Yeah, so we're going to preview the Pac-12 South, talk about the classes for all the teams in the Pac-12 South. we got some other topics uh, in the Pac-12 we want to get to and answer your questions. As always, if you have any questions for us, Pac-12podcast at gmail.com is the email address. Or if you'd rather call or text us, you can do that too, 424-532-0678. You can tweet us at Pac-12podcast. We're on the Twitters. Fairly often, the website, packlovepodcast.com, where you can find all our old shows. Make sure you go to our new Reddit page, reddit.com slash r slash podcast of champions. We try to put some posts there. Whenever we post a new uh, episode, we'll put that up there. And then the Pac-12 fans, all you guys out there can chat about the Pac-12. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all those different platforms. Give us a five-star rating. Uh, positive reviews are always great. Funny reviews are great. Dave, I don't know if we got any reviews like that uh, lately. No, no. Everyone out there is a huge and uh, unrepentant slack ass. Um, <laughs> I do have a Reddit update, however. Oh, we got a good uh, Reddit one? So last week we got a great request from our man Tom saying, hey, can you guys create a Google Doc that we can contribute to that uh, you know we can contribute topics, um, th- them being the listeners. And so – in my moment where I was on the Reddit, which happens once every three to four weeks, um, I created that Google Doc. And I said, here's a Google Doc. Go nuts. Go dumb. Wait. This was six days ago. Do you know how many updates have been made in that Google Doc? How many? Zero. Well, first of all. No one has written a word in that Google Doc. You created something? You, you I created something. Like yep. outside of your normal whatever routine you have, you did something beyond that. I posted not once, not twice, not three times, but four times in the Reddit. Wow. Okay. I'm impressed. This. this is something I did of my own volition. Well. That... And I, re- I was rewarded with absolutely nothing. And frankly, I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> I don't think people believed it. Maybe they thought I did it in your name or something. I don't know. Maybe they just it's like, possible. Dave would never do that. 
They know you. I, I, I can certainly understand thinking that. Yeah. Well, let's get to it. We have a special guest on the line. Uh, we don't have, we haven't had a special guest for a while. Uh, Blair Angulo, he does a great job covering college football recruiting. Like I said, the mountain and island regions. You can follow him on Twitter at Bangulo, A-N-G-U-L-O. Our buddy Blair, he said he might have been on the podcast like four or five years ago. I don't remember, but uh, he's on now. Blair, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, guys. I love that the footnote about me is that he gets to go to Hawaii, and that's the only thing you should worry about and know about me as well. I get to go to Hawaii maybe two, three times a year. We get to cover the Polynesian Bowl. I get to go and evaluate prospects. I get to go have uh, you know some fantastic lunch plates and, and the poke and, and everything that comes with going to Hawaii. So thank you for, for bringing that bullet point up. I think that should be the thing that's just on your Twitter bio. I don't even think you should have like recruiting analyst or whatever your title is. I think it should just be gets to go to Hawaii for his job yeah. regularly. Agreed. Like- I think I need to make that edit. Once I'm off this podcast, I might consider doing that. And and in little parentheses say gets to go to Hawaii after the island region analyst thing. So people <laughs> can kind of put two and two together. Yeah. It's like if you're a teacher, like everyone talks, oh, you get the whole summer off. Like that's if they look at your bio, like. Oh, you get to go to Hawaii. So I think I think that works. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And and you know the the difficult thing is the flight there. You know, it's a 6-hour flight there. It's 5 5 hours uh, on the way back. Um it, it's just a brutal flight, you know, because you you don't even get to look out and see anything. Uh, I think oh, that's right. the I, I think that's everyone the, out there. I want to speak for everyone when I say we're absolutely heartbroken for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to come up with the reasons why people shouldn't go to Hawaii, so I have it all by myself. Yeah. I get it. Nice. Uh, well, hey, we start off the show with a little bit of breaking news. Um, so our buddy Greg Biggins just tweeted that Marietta Valley, California, tight end Jack Yerry's committed to USC. So he was a four-star uh, tight end, used to be committed to USC decommitted and he was going to announce today a couple of days before signing day. today's monday by the way um that he he was going to go to usc or washington so we got blair on the line for this like for the breaking news so we'll get your take on it oh i i love this pickup if usc decides to use the tight end at some point you know he's he's a really good physical pass catcher uh he i think he's underrated from an athleticism standpoint we actually got to see him for a couple days out in hawaii he he got to fly out to hawaii as well guys uh for the polynesian (laughs) bowl last month and the difficult thing for him and i i think he forgot that he had finals that week so he was flown back to the mainland midway through so he didn't even compete in the game um so you know he's he's a really good pass catching tight end with good athleticism and I think he's advanced from a physicality standpoint in terms of being able to block and do some of the things closer to the line of scrimmage. Uh, you know, you look at the the, the the tight end room there at USC, and, and it, they just add another star. Uh, Jack, obviously, with the family ties to USC um, and a player that a lot of programs out west, I know Washington was, was high on his list. I know UCLA had made a, a really strong push for him. Uh, you know, some of the schools from, from across the country as well had, had been monitoring him. And he's a player that I think allows USC now to continue to maybe get some momentum because the 2020 class is is unsalvageable in a way. Uh, there's not going to be the, the star power, the, the big names, but it does allow them to save face a little bit and then get some momentum heading into the spring. So Jack Yari is, is a good one. 
Yeah, it should be interesting. I mean, it's, it's good timing because we are going to preview the Pac-12 South recruiting. In, in the 24-7 sports rankings, USC actually had the worst class in the Pac-12 in the composite, which we're going to talk about the composite. USC's 10th. I'll have to put into the calculator to see where they move up, but uh, they'll move up a little bit uh, from that one. So they were, I think they were 59th in the country. They'll probably be in the 40s or something. Uh, do that. So they, I think they have one more guy. We'll, we'll talk about that stuff uh, a little bit later, but a little breaking news. Uh, Dave, should we go into some of the Pac-12 news? Yes, we should. Um, so I was, I think this was one of Wilner's uh, notes um, about Nick Rolovich, uh, Washington State's new head coach. Um, he's a rarity in the league uh, in that he was a working head coach when he was hired. Um I, that might make him the only Pac-12 current head coach who was a head coach when he was hired. Is that right? Yeah, I think uh, the note was the last time the Pac-12 hired someone that was a sitting head coach, it was from outside the conference. It was Lane Kiffin uh, in 2010. He was the head coach at Tennessee. So it seems like USC kind of does the, I mean, USC, the Pac-12 does the off the beaten path sort of thing and uh, not necessarily go out and get guys that are current head coaches, but maybe promote from within or get someone uh you know, get someone that's a coordinator from somewhere. Do I have to fact check Wilner right here? Because I'm pretty sure Mike McIntyre was hired out of San Jose State in 2013. Uh, maybe it was. Maybe he might have been talking Power Five. I'm not sure. Maybe that was it. Well, hell, Hawaii's not Power Five. That's true. So it couldn't be that. So he said, "I'm just fact checking in real time." Your maybe like garbled note from John Wilner. It's really great. It was. I didn't put radio. this note in. This is from Micah. But three of the twelve, well, of course. Three of the Pac-12 coaches, they were out of the coach out of coaching at the time they were hired. Three were coordinators elsewhere, uh, and then five were already on staff. So he he accounts for all of the ones. So um, as far as like going, the last time they hired someone, that might have been the last time they hired someone that was a Power Five. But for the current group of, there's eleven of the Pac-12 coaches outside of Nick Rolovich. Um, three, like I said, were they were coaching. They weren't in coaching. Three were coordinators, and then five were promoted from within. Uh, but I, yeah, and I think it, it it speaks to what we already kind of said about the Washington State hire, which is it was very good. I mean, they had a good process; it was very quick, and they hired a guy who was maybe not you know the most in demand coach in the country, but certainly was on the upswing um, at Hawaii and was going to be probably a hot name here pretty soon. Um, great fit, and I think uh, certainly um, Chun the uh, AD up there is doing a great job with his hires. Yeah, Patrick Chong. I think Blair, I mean, you've covered uh, Nick. What did you think of him? I think it was as good of a hire as Washington State could have hoped for, given the circumstances, given the fact that they had already kind of you know, loaded their roster for a certain type of offense and a certain type of team. And I think Rolovich allows Washington State to continue on the road that they're going on with the air raid, with the high up-tempo offense, with, you know, kind of that speed defense that can that can take risks and make things happen uh, on that side of the ball to get the ball back for, for the offense. So uh, it, it's as good of a hire as you could have hoped for if you're Washington State and if you're a fan of the Cougars, not only because of that, but also because of, of his personality. You know, you, Mike Leach had already... Uh, everything's known about him, right? How quirky he is, the, the pirate, uh, all the stuff that comes along with Mike Leach, the post-game interview, the Woodstock, all, all that stuff. 
Rolovich, I think, is going to give his share of really good post-game interviews. He's going to be a, a guy in the press conference room that's going to win over a lot of fans. Uh, he's going to, you know, give you the good quote, and then I think that translates over to recruiting. When you have a coach who is able to connect with recruits, with their parents, and then also be uh, very personable and, and kind of down to earth. You know, he's not a very uh, uptight guy. You know, I think there were stories that came out in the first week after he had been hired that he 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 went out to a bar in Seattle and invited a bunch of Washington State fans, and he picked up the bill after after the night of drinking. You know, that that's the kind of coach that the, that they're getting, and I think it's a perfect fit for a city like Pullman, and it's a perfect fit for him to take over a program that is still you know up there in the. Past. Pac-12 North. They're gonna. I know they had some some difficult losses uh, this last season, but this is a, a program that had taken a lot of major strides under Leach. What do you think of the uh, the Wilner note that the majority of the Pac-12 schools haven't gone out and hired a sitting head coach uh, for their for their you know for their most important job in the university? I you know honestly I think everyone's just trying to strike gold, and maybe there hasn't been that marquee name that that they've been able to attract um you know even some of the names that go around like a like a Dave Aranda that gets thrown out I mean he's not even a head coach uh you know and and I think it goes both ways I think head coaches that maybe are are approached you know why would they go over to the Pac-12 right now with with the state of 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 college football with the the landscape right now I mean it's kind of a lose-lose situation if you leave maybe a, a, a more successful situation where you're at, uh, maybe a, a conference that actually, you know, has a better shot of getting you to the college football playoff uh, monetarily with, with the uh, the amount that maybe these Pac-12 schools are offering it isn't up to par. So there's a lot of different layers that you have to look into it. And either way you slice it, I don't think it's good news for, for the Pac-12. Uh, speaking of Hawaii, Dave, the next note is about uh, Todd Graham, uh, former ASU coach, Going to Hawaii, we want to get your thoughts on that one, Blair, too, but he's still going to get $12.8 million because he had a mitigation clause, a no mitigation clause in his contract. So, Todd Who Rams- was ASU as- ASU's athletic director in 2011? I think that's the real question we've got to ask now. <laughs> How do you not have a mitigation clause? I don't think I've heard of a contract that didn't have some sort of mitigation in recent times at all. Yeah, how is it missing that, especially on a buyout that big? It seems like there's a, a there's not much of a power struggle between athletic directors and super agents. I think the agents are winning on most every occasion. Yeah. Okay. So their athletic director was Steve Patterson. Does that sound right? The guy that went to uh, Texas and got Texas fired like in, a, in about a day, right? Yeah. Yeah. This all sounds right. This all sounds right. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah okay so yeah he was asu's athletic director oh no he was hired on um march 28 2012 so it was before that oh wow you don't see ad's jumping jobs like that all right well this is a trip down memory lane and it's irrelevant uh horrific contract but uh happy for todd graham you know what it's great to make 12 million dollars yeah. Blair, what do you think about the whole situation and, you know, Todd Graham being in Hawaii? 
Well, I've, I've just been wondering how long he's going to be there because this is a coach that has been known to, to jump around quite a bit. Uh, at first, when I saw the name, it, it didn't add up for me because it's a completely different fit when you talk about Rolovich at Washington State and Pullman with that offense. And, and now I have to picture Todd Graham wearing you know Hawaiian shirts. Uh, it's kind of it's strange. I don't know how many times he's going to be able to get laid on the sideline. I mean, this is uh, a very <laughs> weird fit. It's going to be weird to, to, to turn on the, the Mountain West game at 11 o'clock Pacific and, and see Todd Graham on the sidelines wearing khakis. You know, um, I, I do like it, though, because, it, you know, Hawaii had, I think, won double digit ga- games. So I think they reached 10 victories for the first time uh, in in about a decade. Uh, uh, fact, who's the fact checker here? Is it you, Ryan? Is it you, Dave? Like, I know it's been a long time since Hawaii had gotten to double digit wins so um you know Graham brings that that gritty that that mentality the the, the aggressive defense you know the, he he's gonna have the charisma I think also to to you know hopefully keep some of the top in-state talent home I know the the top rated players obviously leave the island for the mainland but I think he's gonna be able to unearth some of these hidden gems out in Hawaii out in Amer- American Samoa you know maybe get some of the guys out in Texas where he has a lot of roots uh recruit Arizona recruit recruit the Southern California area, recruit some of the places that he's been to before and, and get some of these players because it's not really difficult to recruit uh, to Hawaii. As we all know, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful place, a beautiful Island. You, you get uh, the, the best weather year round. Um, and now you got the football to match it. You know, this is a program that's on the upswing. Uh, obviously they lose their quarterback Cole McDonald, but they have Chevin Cordero coming through the wings. And, and he's a guy that is very comparable to McDonald. So, there's a lot to like there with that hire, and and you know we'll we'll be interested to see whether or not he affects things on the gridiron and and what he's able to do in recruiting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then uh, yeah, and he's also going to get a big win over UCLA to start next year. Too. <laughs> that's in that's in Hawaii, right? Correct me yes. if I'm wrong. Yes. Are you correct. flying out there for that? Can we can we do a little a little road I'm, trip together? I'm sincerely debating it. You guys got to cover. I mean. That. I mean, we. I think we got to go to Aloha Stadium. I know all the places the around there us, to eat. Can, yeah, we can afford to like charter a plane ourselves, right? Hundred <laughs> percent. Like, just yeah. I think this is right. I think we do it. Um, all right. Sticking with ASU, uh, wanted your thoughts, Blair. I don't care about yours, Ryan. Um, okay. On a- <laughs> uh, ASU uh, defensive line coach Jamar Kane uh, heading to Oklahoma. Uh, for what looks like the same position. Um, how impactful was he for ASU's, what we'll, we'll soon be talking about since we're covering the Pac-12 South today, um, their top class in the Pac-12 South this year? I think he was the, the key piece. He was super instrumental. Uh, when you look at it, their their signature list, Daniel Nagata, who announced at the Under Armour game in, in uh, early January, uh, he's from the Sacramento area in Folsom, California, and, and Jamar Kane has a lot of roots up in Northern California, and that was a big reason why Nagata had chosen the Sun Devils. Uh, you look at um, you know an, another guy who who also fits that bill is Elijah Badger, his teammate uh, over at Folsom. That was another player that w- you know for for the most part 
picked ASU because Kane had put in so much work in recruiting him. Omar Norman Lott, another highly rated defensive lineman from also from the Sacramento area, picked the the Sun Devils with Kane being his main recruiter. So he did a lot of the heavy lifting in that area in, in Nevada, in Northern California, up in up and up and down the West Coast. And ASU loses a, a big time recruiter. You know they I know they've you know, stockpiled their staff with a lot of energetic and young blood. Chris Hawkins, the former USC defensive back and graduate assistant. Uh, they got Prentice Gill, wide receivers coach over from Oregon, who had been doing a lot of the recruiting in Southern California. Obviously, Antonio Pierce is still there. Uh, they promoted Tony White, and, and he's been known to, to be a big-time recruiter as well. So they still have a lot of firepower, but I know that Kane had been instrumental in building this 2020 class and uh, it, it's a big loss. So Oklahoma uh, gets a nice pickup there, um, you know, to be able to continue to to have ties uh, out west as they as they try to to you know maybe uh, pick off and and maybe get some of these players that that are leaving the West Coast. Speaking of uh, leaving the West Coast, at least on one uh, instance, Stanford has lost both of its uh, week one starting offensive guards to the transfer portal. They both have announced uh, recently. Uh, so Devery Hamilton is, uh, he announced on Twitter he's going to Duke. And then Henry Haddis is going, he's going to stay in the conference at least. He's going to go to ASU. Any thoughts there? Or Dave, if you have any thoughts. Uh, continues to be a, a horrific, like last nine, eight months for Stanford football. Six months, something like that. Um, this whole offseason, I mean, it's just losing guys that I don't think anyone would have predicted they would lose. And it's. I know the narrative coming out of Stanford circles is, oh, these guys would have had trouble getting into grad school, a lot of them. Um, weird how that's, like, never been a problem until there was a transfer portal. <laughs> um, so, which is really, like, the transfer portal is just a more organized way of transferring. I don't think people are, like, quite getting it, but it's just a more organized yeah, way of Yeah, it didn't change it. the rules of how you could transfer. It doesn't anything, really yeah. change the rules. I know there was, a, there was a simultaneous relaxation of transfer rules that people are conflating with the transfer portal. But they're not the same thing. And unless Stanford just suddenly drastically um, increased its entrance requirements for grad school, which I don't think they did, um, that's not the explanation here. Obviously, something is smelly at Stanford. Something weird is going on. We should all freely acknowledge it. The fact that they're losing starting offensive linemen as well as their starting quarterback from last year, who otherwise could have competed in the spring for the starting job with Davis Mills, but is instead, as we'll talk about in just a second, transferring to Mississippi State of all places— uh, something very weird is going on at Stanford. It's probably not good for David Shaw and his program because it's not as if they've like reloaded every cycle. I mean, Stanford has to be pretty selective with who they pick. And, you know, some classes it's very, very good, but small. And some classes it's not so good and still pretty small. It's not like they're taking 28 guys most years. Um, so this isn't good is my long and the short of it. And um, I think we might be we might have to like reconceptualize the whole idea of Stanford as this stable program and not think of last year as a blip, but more of, yeah, we've got a, this, this Stanford is getting back more to, you know, a 500 ish type program. What do you think Blair? 
Yeah, no, I do think I kind of echo those sentiments is, is, you know, the, I think the air is finally coming out of that balloon uh, at Stanford from, you know, not only on the field, but, you know, there, there are, you know, some, some matters that get more facilitated. It becomes easier, I think, now to transfer with the transfer portal. It's kind of a redo for a lot of these players. Um, but when there isn't really competition ahead of you or you are maybe the incumbent starter or a guy that's going to be projected to get a lot of playing time, it does. That's where the red flags be- become more obvious for me, where, where the sirens start to sound a bit. Because, you know, that's a major reason why players would want to transfer is to play more. So if you're already leaving a really good situation, there's got to be something going on there. Um, I do feel like Stanford um, has maybe felt the effects of the Pac-12 not being as high as as it should be uh, from a national standpoint. Stanford in the past, you know, is is able to go down to Georgia, to Texas, to to the south, out east on the east coast and, and pick some of these top academic players um but now there's no real appeal for those high academic players to go if you know you're you're kind of you know left with only the degree and and not the actual football side of things which we which we saw at the turn of the century and and obviously the last few years so they're they're a program right now with washington and oregon and the pac-12 north doing such a good job of recruiting that has been affected and now with this uh, I guess you know what 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 do we call it like a some sort of uh, abandoned ship from from everyone um it, it does leave a lot to be uh questioned heading into this spring and 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 it'll be interesting to see how they look in, in the fall you know whether or not they're able to get some of these players back in terms of going into the transfer portal and and maybe selecting some players that are a fit uh, but it's it's not looking too pretty up in Palo Alto no, and it's weird because we'll talk about uh, Pac-12 North recruiting next week. Probably we'll get Brandon Huffman on. We got to line that up, but um, they recruited well. Like they're in the you know top four or something for Pac-12 recruiting rankings. Uh, it was weird because on that front, it seemed like there's a lot of optimism there. But from people that have been around the program for a while, it doesn't seem as much. If you know what I mean. No, I agree. I agree, and and you know so. Before it, it was more of a matter of of them turning players away, and and that was uh, kind of the big narrative with Stanford. You know, they were a top fifteen program nationally, a top a top ten program nationally when it came to recruiting, and then the results were following on the field, and, and now you know they're in that twenty five range uh, with a lot of attrition, with a lot of uh, losses on on the roster. And, you know, Stanford plays a physical brand. They, they've always maintained that they need their guys to be older and more physically developed and, and, and to have, a, you know, kind of that roster shaped that way. Um, you know, these recruiting wins might not be as evident or they might not pay dividends as early as it would at a place where, you know, they're, they're able to play true freshmen and they're able to allow, you know, some of these athletes to do what they do. You know, it doesn't really matter how big you are, uh, but I think at Stanford it does. So that, that's why it's, it's going to be very, really pivotal for them to, to turn the page and, and get things rolling in the right direction on the field when it comes to, you know, the spring and, and, and later in, in the summer. Some uh, more USC news. Uh, USC got rid of three defensive coaches. So they hired Todd Orlando, who was fired as a defensive coordinator. They fired Clancy Pendergast originally back in December. They bring in Todd Orlando. He was a Texas DC for the last three years, got fired, took a linebacker job, assistant head coaching job with his old buddy, Matt Wells at Texas Tech. Then a few days later or whatever, a couple weeks later, USC hires him away to be their defensive coordinator. He brings with him uh, Craig 
uh, Niver, who was the he's going to be the safety coach. Um, they made that official announcement today. But there were three other defensive coaches on staff: um, Chad Kay, who's a defensive line coach; uh, Johnny Nansen, the linebacker coach, who's been around since the Steve Sarkeesian days; and then uh, Greg Burns, the secondary coach. All three of those were uh, announced that they were fired. Uh, Bruce Feldman broke the news uh, right before the Super Bowl, which was kind of strange. Um, but those were officially made. They're cleaned out as of today, officially by USC. So making some moves. It shouldn't impact signing day because they're really only after. They just got their tight end. They're after like a running back. And that's pretty much about it. Um, so there's not really a bunch of defensive guys they're trying to sign. But they did host a whole bunch of juniors over the weekend. And those guys were involved. And now they're not there anymore. Um I guess well, I'll just go with Blair on this one. What are your What are your thoughts on that? Uh, oh, you don't you yes. don't care about mine. <laughs> you don't care what I have to say. Well, we'll get your snarky stuff afterwards, but Blair will have more information. <laughs> well, so. well, first of all, I, w- I want to say how disappointed in in you I am that, or disappointed I am in you that you 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 wimped out and you said Chad K. Well, oh what's my God. his real I, name? What's his real name, Ryan? It's like Kawa ah, ha, 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 ha. And See, I'm, that, I'm glad. that's perfect. That's good. He's, that, it, he's his only name been around is a Chad. Year. His name is Chad Kauhaaha. So you were there. You were close. You were close. <laughs> that's but why Chad we send K- you to the islands. That's why we send you there. Yeah, you that, that is exactly why. Um, so Chad K obviously had come over from uh, I think Oregon State at the time or, or Boise State, one of those two. And uh, I, I don't know if he made the impact in, in recruiting that that Todd Hel- or uh, Todd Helton. That I wish it was Todd Helton. Uh, Clay Helton <laughs> made uh, at USC. Uh, Johnny Nansen is another one. I think that's the big name. I mean, he how long had been uh, had he been at USC? I think maybe seven years, six yeah, years. I think it was seven. Um, yeah. It'd been a long time, and he had been kind of the face of recruiting for a long time since the departure of T. Martin. So when you go into some of these Polynesian homes, when you go out to Hawaii, when you recruit in Utah and Arizona, up in Northern California and Oregon, where they've been get, getting some guys in recent years, uh, Johnny Nansen was at the forefront of that. And it, I, I don't know if, he, it, you know, what I think on the field, that's where the shortcomings were because he had still been able to get into some recruit homes and make an impact on that front but also he had trailed off and he hadn't landed some of the bigger fish out west that are of polynesian descent you know when you think of a polynesian player out west you know typically usc is at the top of that list a lot of those players had been leaving uh not only the pac-12 but then leaving the west and, and going out to the south you know siaki ika guys like that that i'm thinking of a fatui tuitele who went up to washington i mean these are players that grew up rooting for usc and you're losing these players uh there's something not there uh that that maybe adds up so um, I think those are the two ones that, that are most significant for me when you look at what the impact could be in recruiting. And, and you know, now USC has to kind of rebound. Yeah. What, Dave, what's your snarky remarks? We, we got to get them. I, I'm just I'm amazed. Johnny Nansen outlasted Steve, Star, Steve Sarkeesian by like, what, what, what did it end up being? Five years? Four years? When yeah. Was like, Stark fired? Five, yeah. Like five years. Uh, five, yeah. I think Blown it was five. Away. Could not have predicted that in a million years. I would have thought that 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 tag team would have been out of there together or not. To be yeah, to be honest, when Steve Sarkeesian got hired, Johnny Nansen was probably the coach closest to him, and so under the circumstances, he was fired. I thought that would be you know Johnny Nansen would probably be on the way out too. He lasted longer than that entire staff, and so it's funny now. Clay Helton's and if you look at Clay Helton's staff from 2016 that went to the Rose Bowl and won the Rose Bowl. They're all gone except for Clay. Um, so it's a little strange. 
They do get rid of Clancy Pendergast, who was not known as a recruiter. I think Orlando will be a little bit better. I don't, I don't know if he's great as a recruiter, but uh, Niver's supposed to be good, and we'll see. They'll have some more, you know, assistant coaches uh, to hire, and I think they need so more what, relentless recruiters, like like what you see so at Oregon what, doing. Yeah. So what you're telling me is that they've kept they've kept the key part of that 2016 Rose Bowl team, right? They they won the Rose Bowl despite all those other assistants. <laughs> no, they, I mean they kept they kept obviously the key coach from that team. Yes, um, everyone else was just extraneous, and and really the key figure. I mean, who made Sam Darnold? Let's say that who made him? It was Clay Helton. <laughs> it is crazy. Also, I talked about this. So all of his assistant coaches have been fired. His the athletic director that hired him is fired. The athletic director that gave him an extension is fired. The three athletic directors that were under both of those guys were all fired. So pretty much anyone within like a mile radius of Clay Helton as far in the power structure has been fired at USC, except Clay Helton. So that's uh, that's that's how the Trojan athletic department works these days, guys. It's really great. And I'm over here. <laughs> I'm over here saying Todd Helton instead. So that's that's how his life's going right now. You got to get the baseball <laughs> references in. I you know like. Well, the Super Bowl's done, right? So now it's all baseball season for me. It's all baseball. Nice. Uh, let's see. So this is one, uh, Dennis Dodd, who's uh, part of our CBS Sports family. He had an exclusive report that the Big Ten uh, was proposing a new policy. They were going to allow transfers to play immediately at their school. So it, you could be a freshman. You could be a graduating you know, senior that, you know, that's, that has a redshirt year left. Uh, you get one. You get a free one. You can transfer somewhere and play immediately once. And then after that, you'd have to sit out. I personally like it. Uh, Dave, we'll get your thoughts and then and Blair's too. Yeah, I mean, I think um, it makes sense. And I mean, this is pretty much de facto true in like, what, 50% of transfers now? I mean, it seems like, I don't know, almost most of these guys are getting immediately eligible or nearly. But um, yeah, I mean... I, I totally think transfers should be able to play immediately um, at all levels. I don't think there should be any penalty. Um, I'm all for these guys being able to freely find a new opportunity to uh, play football for free um, in pursuit of potentially doing it professionally at some point. It'd be super cool if they got paid for it as well. If coaches can coach a year after leaving a job, why couldn't players do the same? You know, so it isn't like Nick Rolovich has to sit out a year and then, you know, kind of sit on the sidelines or up, up, up with the parents in, in, in this, in Martin stadium up in Pullman, uh, he's going to be able to coach right away. So, you know, so, so players should be able to do the same if they find a better fit. Uh, I'm all for it. I, I feel like everyone should play whenever they're able to. And as long as they're healthy, just trot them on out there. You know, you're only what, 21, 22 for so long. And, and, and some of these opportunities, come and go in a, in a blink of an eye for a lot of these players, especially if they want to go pro uh, and then, you know, limiting them and, and, and limiting their opportunities and their ability to go out and, and play football. Like you said, Dave, for free, um, it, it shouldn't come down to that. So just let everyone do whatever they want to do. As long as the eligibility is there, uh, just let them trot out and play and, 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 you know, entertain us. I think that's the big thing, right? Is these players want to not only win games and, and, and maybe raise their, stock but then also you know it, it's a big business and and if you're limiting the ability for some of these players to go out there it, it, I think it affects everyone involved yeah I agree with you guys and I think in, in a lot of these aspects we try to over regulate things and a lot of times the market you know the environment is just going to take care oh, of God. itself 
You know, oh, I'm going to give you some. No, this is not political talk, Dave. But you, the transfer portal is there, and you got guys. There's the big names, the Justin Fields. Like, yeah, it's going to work for them. It's going to be fine. But there's like four star guys that maybe weren't starting. They go in the transfer portal and they go from a power five school to even like an FCS kind of school. They figure out like, hey, this isn't always going to be great. So I don't think you're going to have like mass free agency all the time. Now you could, if if a coach does something screwy and leaves early, you might have a bunch of guys leave, but there's not always great destinations. Or whatever is happening currently at Stanford. Something like that. But it, you you have to be a pretty good player to get picked up by somebody else because you are, you know, you already made a choice. Coaches are going to take that into, their, you know, into consideration that like, well, there's got to be a reason you're leaving. And it's not just my head coach is a jerk or whatever like that. So I think you're not going to, I think what people are worried about, like mass free agency, I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe it does like one year and then everyone figures out, oh my God, I'm in the portal and nobody's picking me up. And I think people have already started to realize that, that there's a lot more guys in the portal than there are openings for players to go. So you could go to the portal, but be you're, you're not, you might not go power five, power five. You might go power five, group of five. You might go below that. So you might go FCS. Um, so I, I think that will sort of take care of itself, but I love a rule that helps the players because obviously the players aren't getting compensated, um, you know, to, to lock them into a school when, their coach can leave. All kinds of weird stuff can happen. I, I'd rather see them have the opportunity to go somewhere else. Word. Um, all right, so final note before we get to actual recruiting talk. Um, we mentioned the Stanford transfers um, earlier, uh, the offensive linemen. So I don't want to belabor the fact that KJ Costello is transferring. However, is anyone else out there getting really excited now about KJ Costello playing in the air raid? Because I kind of am. Uh, he's going to join Mike Leach, former Pac-12, um, you know, familiar, uh, at Mississippi State. So we're going to see KJ Costello in an air raid uh, playing in the SEC. I think it's going to be fun as hell. And a very bright quarterback. You know, he, he this is a guy that just dives into the X's and O's and, and the board talk and all that. So imagine Mike Leach having a quarterback that is maybe speaking his same language in terms of what he wants him to do. I think it's going to be a, a, a real treat for us. And, you know, it's going to not only is it different because of the air raid going into the SEC, uh, but now you have a, a Pac-12 quarterback from the state of California with his ability to air it out and, and do what he does in, in terms of staying in the pocket and just delivering the football. I'm, I'm right there with you, Dave. I, I feel like this is going to be uh, fun as hell, as you say, um, and it's going to it's going to really give us a, a good barometer of what leach is gonna want to do because you know you wondered all right well how long is it going to take for leach to find his guy uh well we we know now that kj is his guy and kj obviously had, 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 you know he had seen him a couple times up close in those stanford wazoo battles so it's going to be a treat i think so too and uh with the fact that he was able to run the air raid out of like a eye formation that stanford was doing they pretty much they weren't running the air raid, but they kind of did like he did, you know, because they had all those tall wide receivers and stuff uh, and the running game just wasn't working. They had like this kind of makeshift version of the air raid that, that David Shaw seemed very reluctant to get to, but he proved he could do it uh, when he was slinging all over the field. I mean, that was a lot of fun to watch, uh, but you know, he had some, some really great receivers like you talk about that uh, he could throw to, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm excited for this one. I mean, just Mike Leach anywhere is going to be great. He's going to, make some noise. And I think the the most noise he can make is if he upsets 
somebody like they beat Auburn or they beat LSU or Alabama or something, you know, they'll lose a bunch of games too, but you want to see them get that one win that really frustrates an established head coach. I think that would be fun. Oh yeah, for sure. Nice. Mike Leach, like Nick, Nick Saban having to respond to like a Mike Leach press conference would just be, that'd be the bee's knees. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think that's all of our notes uh, on uh, the, uh, for the PAC 12. Let's move on to our uh, Pac-12 South. So it's a couple of days before signing day, but for the most part, things are settled. We'll get Blair's thoughts on any of the prospects that are uh, still undecided. We already had the news uh, for USC. Um, right now, we're going to look at the 24-7 sports composite rankings. And actually, after USC got that commitment, they line up a little bit better with the 24-7 sports team rankings. So the number 11 team, as far as uh, recruiting classes go, we have... Arizona Wildcats. Wow. So Bla- Right, so we're oh, reverse ahead. ordering Pac-12 South, just to, just yes. to let everyone know. I, sorry, I didn't say that. Dave, do you want to give a little quick recap in Blair, or just go right to Blair? What would you like? How do you want to do this? Sure, sure. Um, so Arizona has 17 commits. They're currently nationally ranked 62nd. Um, so they are second to last in the Pac-12 in recruiting right now. Uh, they have 12 guys signed right now, five guys committed who are expected to sign, a couple of transfers coming in, um, including uh, Oregon Brendan Schooler, uh, the former wide receiver up there. Um, I think my big question here, Blair, uh, before we get into who they might close with and all that other stuff is, we really haven't seen a Kevin Sumlin bump in recruiting at Arizona. Is it is that pretty definitive at this point? I, I think so, and he's just so far removed from from A and M, right? And and maybe the the reputation that followed him to Tucson, you know, the fact that he had to wait a, a year or two, right, to 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 take another head job. Um, I think people just forgot what Kevin Sumlin was and, and what he did in the SEC and and how exciting of a coach he was at the time. Um, I just don't know if Arizona has also, you know, maybe been affected by the on field results. Uh, Herm, Herm Edwards, on the other hand, ha- has flipped it right, and and and, and a lot of the the laughs, and uh, there was a lot of mockery heading into his tenure at, at, in Tempe, uh, and I think everyone would share that. They, they wondered why ASU would go that route, but he, he, you know, he has turned things around on the field. We haven't seen that from Sumlin, so that's been a big thing. You know, not only has he been far removed from A and M, but now uh, hasn't really lived up to it on the field, and and you know, it's kind of just a Rich Rodriguez. Uh, retread it just seems like that's the same trend that we're going towards uh what do you think of uh the class so far any any names stand out to you any guys that could be immediate impact guys yeah it's it's not a bad class I mean I know obviously it's it's second to last in the in the Pac-12 but I think this was always going to be a a smaller class I don't know if they were ever going to be able to reach the the 22 24 um signee mark uh, they did get a, a couple guys in state that I like. Reagan Terry, he had uh, offers from up and down the West Coast. Uh, Nebraska was after him. His father is an assistant athletic director at Boston College, so that was another school he was really high on, and, and they were able to lock him down. You know, They, they were able to lose uh, Jason Harris, unfortunately for them. you know, He's probably their biggest target in this 2020 class. He committed and signed with Colorado. He announced his his commitment at the Under Armour game, and and the interesting thing with him is that his brother Jalen is actually on, on the team uh, as as a defensive end as well. And his father played for Arizona Swarm Swarm uh, Desert Swarm defense. His mother played basketball at Arizona. So 
I think that's going to be the biggest black eye on, on this class, not getting Jason Harris, a homegrown kid who had lived you know, and, and, and kind of breathed Arizona football growing up. I uh, also like Will Plummer. He's the brother of, of Jack Plummer, who's a quarterback at Purdue. Um, they were able to land him early on in the in the in the class um, quarterback from Gilbert, Arizona. We have him as a mid three star, uh, but he's he's in like that 20 to 25 range in the state of Arizona, which it actually isn't isn't terrible because. Arizona is probably experiencing its biggest boom in in terms of recruiting and in terms of of having a lot of talent in in the in the state. So uh, those are probably the two headliners that I, that I would identify. And um, you know I I really like those two pieces. But you know this I think this 2021 group is going to be huge for Arizona not only on the field but then to be able to get you know maybe some traction in in recruiting and and win some of those in state battles. Is there uh, anyone else outstanding that you can think of that they might be able to close with down the stretch here? Well, they, they were hoping to, to close with Alphonse Oyak. Uh, he's a three-star cornerback from Kent, Washington, and it, it sounds like he might be flipping to Nick Rolovich uh, here soon. I'm not sure if wow. it's gonna if it's gonna come out uh, before this this podcast is published, but that's the that's the buzz. That's the trend on the crystal ball. And Arizona had had been, you know, the destination for him since the summer. I think he committed at the end of July. Uh, he didn't sign. He wanted to figure out what was going to happen elsewhere, whether, you know, maybe some other offers would come in after the early signing period. Uh, and it sounds like he's going to be staying closer to home. So that was kind of the big remaining target for them. And, uh, you know, right now it's not looking too pretty for them. Blair, we produce this stuff. We it goes up right away, basically. We we don't put a lot of right. thought into it. We just like talk and then like slap it together and put it up. So there's the it goes. The, I the thing is, that. we we turn it around fast. We're not going to go through and uh, fix all our mistakes. We would never get done if we had to try to fix our mistakes because we're just it's a podcast full of mistakes. I've never made a mistake on this show. <laughs> all right, uh, let's move on. Uh, the number ten team, according to the twenty four seven Sports composite. Team rankings, class of 2020, is USC Trojans. The gutty little Trojans uh, have 13 commitments. That's four enrollees, eight signed letters, and just now broken broken news on this podcast. Uh, Jack Gary, the tight end, he's the only commitment who hasn't signed at this point. Uh, USC ranked a robust 52nd nationally, so... I think I, I, I'm not looking at historical rankings right now, but I'm thinking that's a pretty good class for USC overall. Blair, just tell me, like, <laughs> in just a few words, how were they able to land such a good class? Um, was it the momentum of that eight and four season? Was it the feel of, you know, Clay Helton getting that resounding vote of confidence from the fans, alumni, every key <laughs> stakeholder in, uh, in Trojan land? Just tell me, how were they able to land such a good class? It's relationships, Dave. That's what recruiting starts with. It's it's relationships, it's connections, it's the in-home visits, it's all that. So USC knocked it out of the park in that department. Um, no, I mean, in all seriousness, this was a huge falling-on-your-face moment for USC. Um, I think it's been well-documented now that the uncertainty surrounding not Todd Helton, but Clay Helton um, at the helm, and 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 the just the 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 entire buzz surrounding his job status. That's just been affecting recruiting so so much. 
Uh, every other Pac-12 program that is recruiting against USC, all they have to do is point at his his job status and his is the 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 temperature of his seat. Because you know you you, you all you have to say to them is, oh, well, you don't even know who's going to coach you in in two or three years at USC. So why would you go there? So that has not only affected USC and and their ability to to maybe convince some players but you know obviously it hasn't really helped moving forward there, i think there's just too much uncertainty throughout the season uh even after the season when the wait and see approach and and the fact that you know decisions will be made on on clay helton i mean all, all that and then you mix in the accelerated recruiting calendar now with the early signing period the spring official visits it's just a, a huge terrible formula for usc in terms of recruiting and 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 not th- you know things are just not going their way you know and I you know I, I think on the field they would have hoped to have turned in a really good year maybe compete for the Pac-12 championship uh, maybe make it to a Rose Bowl that would have alleviated a lot of those concerns but that didn't happen either so yeah it's it's just a huge mess I think in in LA yeah it's a big mess uh, the only guy that looks like could be a potential impact impact guy Gary Bryant Jr. I mean they're already stacked at wide receiver but he's a He's more of a shifty guy, more like an Adoree Jackson type of guy. I don't think they have guys like him on the roster already. So someone like him could make an impact. But for the rest of the class, it's, you know, six offensive linemen, three defensive linemen. USC does, you know, need to replace both offensive tackles. Doesn't have a great option or or an obvious option at left tackle. Blair, of, of the six offensive linemen that they're bringing in, seems like a lot of projects to me. But is there someone you feel like could potentially contribute somewhat early? I like Andrew Millick a lot. Uh, he's about 6'6", 290, 300, close to 300. Uh, a three-star prospect from Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I really like his potential. He's really athletic. He's got a mean streak to him. I, I like what he's able to do in, 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 you know, as a pass protector. Uh, still has to develop a bit in the run game and, and maybe uh, open up some gaps and, and be able to pull and, and, and do all that. But I, I like his potential. Um, you know, and, and on the defensive side, I don't think you can sleep on Tuli Tui Pulotu at all. This was a guy who we bumped up to four stars after what we saw at the Polynesian Bowl in Hawaii for that whole week of practices. Um, you know, he's got a brother on the team. He's got a lot of familiarity with the program and the defense. He's about 270 already. So this is a player who I think who's going to continue to grow into to being, you know, an interior defensive lineman. And I think physically he's ready and, and I really like his motor. So that would be my candidate for instant impact. You, you mentioned Gary Bryant. There's just so many guys in front of him in that on that depth chart that I don't know, you know, how much he's going to be able to play. You know, um, so uh, Tuli Tui Pulotu, I do like him, and and I like Andrew Millick among those offensive linemen that they signed. I mean, it's super weird that neither of you guys is talking about the headliner of this class. So I guess I'll just address <laughs> the elephant in the room. I want a detailed breakdown of uh, three-star kicker Parker Lewis. I want everything. I want range of motion with his hip, um, flexibility. Um, I want the whole thing. How big his foot is. Do you have a measurement? I want to know everything. He's got a huge foot, a huge (laughs) leg, actually, too, to go along with it. Like, Um, really weirdly, like, weirdly large, right? Like, just, like, his hips out to here. 
for no reason. Yeah, no, he's his yeah his flexors actually pop out a little bit too. Um, no, he's got a huge leg, and you know we we like to joke around a lot, obviously about uh, kickers and their impact and all that. Um, but this was a player that grew up uh, a huge USC fan. Um, I, he told me a story a couple years ago. I think his grandfather had signed or had been committed to play USC football got hurt during his senior year and was unable to play college football. And so the dream died and he moved over to Arizona and had a, had a family and all that. And then Parker Lewis, once he got the USC offer finally at the Trojan elite camp a couple summers ago, he committed on the spot because he wanted to continue his uh his grandfather's legacy that he wasn't able to fulfill so you know uh that was there's your little insight into parker lewis i i think he's gonna be an instant impact guy too you know we we uh we saw him a couple times during the season he he was making field goals from 55 yards out um he's got a he's got a big leg big hip flexors big foot and uh you know nike has to make actually custom cleats for him so that'll be big USC does have three kickers on scholarship, so you need that, you know. Like, you but none of them need. are Parker Lewis, Ryan. I'm telling you, this this kid, <laughs> he was born to be a USC Trojan football player. He and, was, and damn it, he's gonna do it. Uh, so with the with John, we'll get off USC in a second. With John Baxter gone, they, I mean, this was one of my big complaints about him, right? The criticisms. They have five players on special teams uh, on scholarship. They have a punter. They have a snapper. And now they have three kickers on scholarship. It doesn't seem like the best uh, utilization of resources. I mean, you know, you were going through the sanctions and, and all that and, and then the scholarship limitations. So maybe they don't really know what to do with those extra ones. <laughs> I think so. I, I, whatever they. I would love it. I would love it if everyone in USCville continues to use sanctions as like a legitimate excuse for like. The next twenty five years, I think it would be. I'm hilarious. convinced. Like, I'm convinced we still that in twenty used to it. We we can't get used to the eighty five. We don't even know what we're doing. <laughs> I'm convinced that in twenty forty five, when the players are getting paid by by then, and we're in our twentieth year of NCAA football being back on EA Sports, uh, there's going to be some sort of uh, of way there where you know the sanctions are going to affect the roster management <laughs> at USC. It's going to be beautiful. Yeah. Well, no, and and there will still be recruits coming to USC saying Reggie Bush is my favorite player growing up. Yeah, just from YouTube. That's where they can know him now because they're three years old when that happened. All right, yeah. uh, enough for USC. Number seven in the uh, 24-7 sports uh, recruiting team rankings for the composite, we have... Colorado Buffaloes. We've reached the cutoff point where we stop clowning on the class and actually talk about it in a legitimate way. Uh, Colorado, really good for my money, uh, first class for Mel Tucker um, and the Buffs, uh, ranked 34th nationally. Uh, they have 21 signed letters of intent at this point, two commits, um, and they're also taken in three transfers, including uh, this is pending appeal uh, from uh, Antonio Alfano, uh, the five star defensive end from Alabama. So, um, pretty great class. Blair already talked about one of the headliners, uh, Jason Harris, who uh, basically they got from Arizona, out of Arizona, a uh, four-star defensive end. Um, talk about this class. Talk about, um, I think probably the, the main thing people want to know is Mel Tucker's still relatively new on the scene. 
how is he as a recruiter um, and what kind of impact has his staff made um, just kind of recruiting maybe in that SEC style? But I would love to hear your thoughts on just kind of their ability as recruiters. Super energetic, I think, is the way I would describe him. You know, speaking to a lot of the recruits after their their visits to Boulder and being in the locker room for some of those Colorado games, they they were telling me that he had them pumped up in, in a way where they wanted to strap up, they wanted their helmet on, they wanted to run through a wall for that guy. I know it's cliche to kind of say that, but I think he really lives it. You know, Jason Harris talking to him and and the way he announced his his decision on at the Under Armour game. Well, about a week and a half before that, during the early signing period, is actually when he announced and when he signed uh, to the staff. And you know, he gave them a call, and I think there was a video circulating where where Mel Tucker almost kind of breaks down into tears. I, I think that's just how much it means to him. Um, Brendan Rice, the the son of Jerry Rice, also from the state of Arizona, you know, he he told me that this was a, a coach that uh, connected with him maybe more so than any other coach in the country. And this was a player who had offers from Oregon, from Michigan. There were some schools, um, you know, in the other parts of the country that were also on him. So. Mel Tucker definitely bringing that mentality that he had in the SEC, in the South, and those connections that he has in Texas to recruit to Colorado. So uh, really, really good job that they've done with their first true class uh, in Boulder. And they've already got a really good head start on 2021 trying to lock in top in-state talent in the state of Colorado. So, you know, now it's really about showing it on the field, you know, that you could talk all you want and you can make these pitches and, and sell a dream, I guess, to these recruits. Um, and the only way to continue to capitalize on that is to go out and, and win some of these games. Blair, yeah, I agree. It seems there'll be a lot of buzz in Colorado with Mel Tucker. Uh, I'm curious what you see the breakdown as far as, I mean, I think I have options as far as where you would want to recruit uh, from which regions. Six players from Texas, five from California, and then a couple from places like Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Georgia. So still some one from Louisiana. So some SEC, uh, you know, reaching out there. But do you think it's going to be a lot of Texas, California? How do you think it's going to be broken down going forward? I do think so, given proximity, right? So Colorado being, you know, maybe closer to the midland of the of the country, the the, the middle part of, of of this nation of ours. And they have to go down south to, to recruit Texas. They have to go out to the East Coast and recruit some of the places that Mel Tucker has those connections. Uh, coach Chev, um, who is the receivers coach, uh, also has a lot of ties in the state of California. So they, they're able to get out here and do that and, and, and really go into some of these homes and make a pitch there. I actually have spoken to a coach at Colorado in the past, and, and he said it's a blessing and a curse to be situated where they are in the middle of the country. You know, not there isn't a lot of talent there, but they're close enough where they're maybe two or three hour flight away from everywhere else. You know, so I think that's uh, maybe a positive. You know, they're able to go out to the to the Midwest when they have to. They can, like I said, fly down to Texas, fly up to the the Northwest a couple hours out to the West Coast. Um, that that's a that's a good thing for them. Um, but they don't have a lot of talent near them, and, and that's usually. Uh, a big problem you know you you want to have a lifeblood close to you you want the the pipeline to flow when you're able to win and capitalize and keep some of these players home um so now it's about making sure that they identify the players in the state of colorado that they want has the fourier family produced a college player who wasn't a tight end (laughs) 
I don't think so. I think it's ingrained in their DNA. Like you have to um, go to college and you have to go to play tight end. And then there's a little sub division there where you have to transfer. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so Caleb Fourier, if we were making a fearless prediction about him, he will not finish his college years at college. No, no. I mean, it's just, it's kind of written already. I think, uh, we have we we have to monitor there the crystal ball uh, very closely and uh, always hit refresh button on the transfer portal. Is there? Yeah, and I, I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, you go ahead. Is there? Uh, are there a couple players for Wednesday? Fans you look out for Colorado fans. I don't. I don't think so. I think they. You know, they've already got twenty one signatures. They've got some commitments um in the 2021 class i think they've already shifted their focus into that group and and really maybe started to settle on on some of the guys that they want and like dave said they do have some transfers uh coming in that make up uh you know three or four parts of their class positions spots of their class uh including antonio alfano um you know he might be the headliner of of this group if he's able to get on the field and, and play right away, you know, this is a player who had a relationship with Mel Tucker um, in their days in the SEC, and he has the type of skill set and the type of impact ability to go in there and, and make a huge different difference for, for that defense. I'm a little bullish on your buffs, Dave. I like this is good. I think uh, Mel Tucker's doing some good things. I think he's going in the right direction. Yeah, as, I agree. as long as I'm... they keep trotting Ralphie out there, I know what they, oh. they didn't run Ralphie out there, right? When you were out there, Ryan? Yeah, they. Uh, so I was covering the game, and uh, there was you know, he was a little feisty. I think well, I don't remember if there was the weather was bad. Do you, do you remember you were covering the game, Ryan? I do remember covering that game. I remember going to the Rose Bowl this year. All that stuff. It was good, uh, but. No, he, they didn't run Ralphie. And I was like, man, I only get to come out here every couple of years. It's been like four years or something since I've been there. So I was really bummed that uh, they did not run Ralphie. That, that should be a requirement. Like, I don't, you know, safety of the handlers and stuff, eh, whatever. You just run Ralphie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Hey, breaking news, too. Uh, we'll do it. David does so much work on this show, Blair. I don't know if you know, but uh, I've just I've been able to confirm Brandon Huffman will do our Pac-12 North uh, recap next Wednesday, next Monday. So we'll do or early well, next week. So well, wow. you're telling what well, you're telling Blair and 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 me right now is that while we were rudely talking, uh, while we were talking, you were rudely texting and not listening to us. Well, I do have to take care of the the business of this show, and I made sure to only do it when you were talking, David, not Blair. So that... oh, well then that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> that's that's normal on this show. Um, cool. All right, great. Then we got Huff for next week. All right. Let's get into the top half of the Pac-12 South. Top half of the Pac-12 South. Number six, we got UCLA Bruins. That's as, oh, that's as mean Chipper. as UCLA Bruins has ever sounded, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. UCLA uh, Bruins. Good old Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly arrow, everyone. It's really fun. It's a good time for everybody. Uh, ranked 32nd in the country. UCLA's class this year. Uh, they've had seven guys enroll already. They have 11 signed letters. They've got two guys committed who have not yet signed. Uh, they've got three transfers coming in. Um, all former three stars. One, a grad transfer running back, Britton Brown, who'll probably be in line to start at running back. Um, so, Blair, I'll start off with this. Of UCLA's oh, 20 people, 
who are committed and or signed. Which of those 14 guys who projected linebacker is your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it depends. What, what what kind of scheme are we running here in, in Chip <laughs> Kelly 2021? Um, you know, I like Damian Sellers quite a bit. I, I think he's going to be really versatile, and he's going to be an asset as, as an edge rusher. Um, maybe not right away, but clo- close to it. You know, we, we saw what um, Bo Calvert did in, in his lone game there at the end of the season and, and, and did bring some energy uh, as, a, as kind of a, have a pass rushing threat at the linebacker spot. Uh, Damian Sellers has that alpha mentality that, that I really like. Uh, he's probably the, the marquee player uh, that they signed in the early signing period among those linebackers, and he's, there's a lot going to be expected out of him. And, and I think he relishes that, and he, and he understands that, and he really likes that. So my money is on Damian Sellers, but, but you know, it's, it's actually not a, a terrible group. Um, in terms of kind of their their skill set and and the uh, the ability to play right away, Jeremiah Trojan also from the state of Arizona is um, a pretty balanced linebacker, about six three two thirty. Uh, Io Ross, who we saw out in the Polynesian Bowl, had a really good week in one on ones as a pass rusher off the edge. So he's going to be able to you know potentially help out. Jaquari Price is another player was originally committed to San Diego State early on in in, in his recruitment. Um, open things up. UCLA jumped in there and he committed to the Bruins. Uh, he's another 6'2", 6'3", 225 player. Um, so they, they've got some some talent at, at linebacker that I like, especially from the players out west that, that I've been able to see. Um, and now it's you know really about figuring out how they're going to be able to fit all those pieces together and whether or not they lose any more players, whether these players even see the field before they transfer. I mean, there's a lot going on at UCLA, uh, you know, behind the scenes that, that has left this program kind of in some shaky waters because it, it, how many walk-ons did they have? I mean, 30 or something I mean, or I think 40 I, something. I, look, look, when you've got 175 freshmen and sophomores on your roster, <laughs> you can't be expected to win more than seven games in two years. <laughs> Yeah, so that that's no a no matter that, if like a hundred and seventy of them are you know walk-ons or walk-ons, right? Yeah, they're counting walk-ons as underclassmen and and kind well, of... and it's such it's it's such crap because he like they they could have even balanced their walk-ons, but he took like thirty walk-ons last year. So yeah, if you take thirty freshman walk-ons, you're gonna have a lot of freshmen, but they're never gonna play. They're just your tackling dummies. Come on. I don't, Dave, you see, it's just so disingenuous, and nobody even like paid attention or cared enough. To, they just regurgitate the talking point. You, you seem so negative on this, Dave. I mean, I'll, Blair, all I hear is David talking about how bad the recruiting is. This is a top half of the Pac-12 class. The only two issues I see, <laughs> I see two issues. One, it seems like this staff is a little bit too involved in recruiting. It seems like they probably need to back off a little bit. You can't put all your time into recruiting. It seems like they're putting too much time into recruiting. And the other thing is, why do you need to offer scholarships once a month? You should. You don't need to do it that often. So I think you should back off. Maybe once a quarter you offer scholarships, and then don't put as much effort into recruiting. <laughs> yeah. No, I I agree. <laughs> I mean, the whole eight clap eighth thing is kind of off off the table now. They they're offering actually on on any day of the month, which is a, a big surprise. Did, did I did I kill that? Was I the one who did it? Because I hope I was. That's not nice. David. If you did, 
<laughs> if you did, if you did, I think that's what goes on your Twitter bio. <laughs> Killer of the eight. So um, people don't know there was like a what eight clap eight. So they were going UCLA was going to give out a bunch of scholarship offers on the eighth day of the month, which you know doesn't seem very smart when you have to give offers pretty much every day if you want to, not just one day a month. No, it was uh, it was a marketing ploy where they were, I think, in a misguided way, trying to build buzz around these offers. Um, but the reality is it doesn't make sense either way. Um, and fundamentally, if they actually were, which I don't think they were ever sticking to it that hard, but they certainly were doing it to an extent because there were multiple guys who said, yeah, they told me they were going to offer me on the 8th or something like that. Um, yeah, there was there so was the, offers going out, and some of the players were told to hold off on announcing the offer until the eighth. So they already had the edit made for them that they would tweet out. The offer had already been given out. They were just told to wait and make it an event. And I don't think the coaches saw the negative side of things, which is clearly every other Pac-12 school is going to say, "Oh, we offer on every day of the month." And then two on the on the recruit side of things, the recruits are looking at at that and saying, "Oh, well, I guess I have to wait until June 8th to get my UCLA offer." And then June 8th rolls around and you don't get the offer, and you're like, "Oh, well, I guess I have to wait until July 8th." And by then he has five other Pac-12 offers, and UCLA's in the dust. So uh, it, yeah, it was all you, you, really it made no sense at all. <laughs> And that was my fundamental problem with it is that if you're talking to a kid and you're like going through the evaluation process, but say he's marginal, say he's maybe a guy you're going to get to later. um, It's a lot easier to say, hey, we've got a long evaluation process. All the guys we've offered so far, we've really put a lot of time into and we're putting a lot of time into you. So you've just got to hang on. And it's another thing to say, oh, yeah, this eighth comes around and then that eighth comes around and then that eighth comes around and you're still not getting an offer. It's like, well. It's one thing if it's a whenever you're ready process, but if it's just offering in batches whenever you see guys who are obvious takes, it's not great. Yeah. Not a great look. The, um, the solution so, is once per quarter, um, for sure. Like you don't do it once a yeah, month. Yeah, no, once a quarter. No, treat it like a like a really bad like sales organization. Just have like <laughs> quarterly reports, you gotta hit your numbers, you know, it'll be great. Um Well, uh this class, um I, I guess do you think they're gonna close with anybody? Uh, do you think there's anybody in the pipeline for UCLA to maybe take this all the way into the rarefied air of a top 30 class? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to close with anyone. I know there's a couple commits that have yet to announce their signatures, and, and that'd be Jonathan Bonds and Jake Newman, the 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 tandem St. John Bosco safety slash outside linebackers that are also going to be in that conversation to play the position for UCLA. Uh, Bodie Schoonover, who who newsflash also a linebacker from the state of Utah, um, had actually narrowed it down to BYU and UCLA. It sounds like BYU has now retaken that lead. He took official visits to both. That was probably the only uh, recruit uh, that I had kind of kept tabs on and thought UCLA had a chance to get uh, heading into this this next signing day. Um, but he's, you know, he's taking a, a two-year LDS mission this starting this summer, so he wouldn't be on campus until 2022 anyway. So not sure there's a, a lot, uh, you know, there in terms of a loss or, or, or 
impact for them. You know, I mean, who knows if Chip Kelly's even around by then? Um, you know, so th- there's a lot. Uh, there, there's a lot. I think in terms of what UCLA now has to shift its focus to. You know, they've had now a couple years to really learn the landscape, learn the recruiting calendar, figure out what they've done wrong, what they've what they've been doing right. Uh, you know, a lot of their thought goes into the nutrition and the athletic, uh, the new facilities, and and being able to to I guess produce and 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 maintain some of these bodies and be more physical um but from a recruiting standpoint there's a lot more to to gain still and and this will be a huge spring for them so we'll see i mean march 8th rolls around will will they do the eight clap eighth again we don't know we just don't know all right uh let's go we got two teams left in the pac-12 south the number five team is utah utes All right, Utah is coming in with 21 commitments. Uh, That puts them 28th nationally. This was, and if you remember when we were first looking at recruiting way back in like November, Utah was sitting, I think, dead last in the league. So they rose a ton right there at the end of the season, got a bunch of commitments. Um, But they have 21 commitments, uh, two guys who've already enrolled. uh, That's Clark Phillips and Ben Renfro, and then 14 signed letters. And then five hard commits, and then three transfers coming in, uh, including Jake Bentley, the quarterback from South Carolina, uh, who's coming in to hopefully take over for Tyler Huntley. Um, so this class obviously um, rose really fast. How much of this was um, the season Utah had this year and um, just the results on the field? How much of that did that convince a lot of these guys to jump on board? I think so. You know, you, you look at the NFL development and, and, you know, what they're able to sell in, in terms of putting players in, in the league and, and, and helping you get to the next level. But now they're being able to match that with the on-field results. They had a, a top 10 team for, for most of the year. They obviously fizzled out later on. Um, but they did something that USC used to do, and that, that was close, uh, really strong in recruiting. Uh, heading into the early signing period, they were able to lock up a lot of the in-state prospects. They lost the number one player in the state, and that's Noah Sewell, who's already signed and enrolled at, at Oregon to join his brother Panay there, the five-star linebacker from Orem. Um, but basically every other player in the state of Utah is going to play for the Utes, and they, they were able to sell this hometown hero idea to be able to get a lot of those players to represent for their family, for their friends, and then play in their own backyard. I think it was big. Kyle Whittingham has a lot of stability there. They don't have to deal with what USC deals with or a lot of the questions that maybe some of the other Pac-12 programs have. Uh, Morgan Scally, who's the defensive coordinator, and now is going to be, I guess, the 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 coach in waiting, the head coach in waiting there in Salt Lake City is another big reason why those, those, um, those recruits are, are liking the youth. So... Um, yeah, I, you know, it was a mixture of things, you know, what they did on the field, how they how they, um, you know, had a lot of the national buzz for, for a long time. Um, but then they, they, you know, they sustained those relationships and they were able to lock down their state. Yeah, the, the breakdown. So looking at the, you know, when we talked about Colorado and then talking about Utah, I think the same sort of thing. Six players coming out of Texas, five out of California. That's exactly what uh, Colorado did. But Utah was able to get five guys out of Utah. It just seems like there's more talent there and they're doing a pretty good job of, of mining that talent. 
Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, in the past, USC's going into Utah, right, and and taking maybe the top two players, Port Augustine or or Osa Messina. I'm not sure if it's too soon to mention his name. Um, you know, th- those are the types of guys that USC was going after in the state of Utah, the five star, the four star. Panay Sewell, you know, was leaving for for Oregon. Now, uh, Utah got Van Fillinger, they got Xavier Carlton, they got Nate Ritchie. Those were all players that signed heading into the early signing period and and committed on that final weekend. They got Sola. Toa Moe'ai, the top offensive lineman in the state of Hawaii, to announce for them as well. Um, Sione Fotu, one of the better linebackers in the state and also a Polynesian Bowl All-Star, also committed closer to the early signing period. And then they were able to flip Clark Phillips from a commitment to Ohio State. You know, so this is the number three corner in the country in the 24-7 sports rankings behind Keely Ringo and behind Elias Ricks, two five-star prospects that are headed to LSU in Georgia. Um, but they were able to flip him from Ohio State and, and keep him out west. Uh, you know, that typically it's it's a school out west, you know, like a USC, Oregon, or Washington that is stealing a recruit from, from Ohio State. In, in this case, it was Utah. They got Clark Phillips. So, yeah, they, they did a phenomenal job. They've also got a few commitments in the last few weeks. So we're expecting them to sign a, a couple guys uh, on Wednesday. Yeah, and is there anyone else out in the mix? I mean, I know they're, they've are they got to be pretty close to full at this point with the guys they, commi- they have committed. But is there anyone else who is still undecided? No, no, not not that not that I'm aware of, and not that we we know of. They they have a few, I think, five or six commitments in the last uh, couple weeks, uh, including Keanu Tanovasa, who, like I said, with a couple of other guys, had a really good week over at the Polynesian Bowl in Hawaii. Uh, this is a player who had the the likes of Oregon State and and UCLA and 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 Boise State uh, high on his list. Uh, Utah, I think that's where his father played. So he had a lot of connections there with his family. And, um, you know, I think that's going to be the marquee name that comes off the board for the Utes on Wednesday. All right. Uh, let's move on to our last team in the Pac-12 South. Uh, number four in the rankings, meaning the Pac-12 North has the top three teams in the rankings. But number four, we have Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> All right, ASU uh, closing with a great class. Uh, they finished, or they are, not finished, uh, they are 23rd nationally. Um, this is with 19 commitments, uh, eight enrollees, and then eight signed letters, and then three hard commitments, and they are also getting a couple of transfers. Uh, Kellen Deish, Deish, what are we going with? Offensive tackle, Texas A&M. Whatever, his name's something. And then Henry Addis, uh, the Stanford uh, guard that we talked about earlier, he is also transferring in. So that's two immediately eligible OL, and this was a desperate need for ASU. So that's um, hitting the transfer portal well, and then also recruiting like demons. Um, obviously, my big takeaway from this class is um, the the real talent that they are stocking at wide receiver now. Uh, Blair, can you talk about this wide receiver class and and whether you think they can make an immediate impact here in Jaden Daniels' sophomore year. That was the biggest bullet point for them when they were going into some of the recruit homes. And and that's, you have two years at minimum with Jaden Daniels, and he was, you know, probably the brightest spot in the Pac-12 South, not named Keaton Slovis um, as a freshman. So he had a phenomenal year, and that's attracted a lot of the recruits. You know, Johnny Wilson, I think, is the, the big name there um, because uh, he had committed to Oregon he had been committed to the Ducks for a long time he ends up taking a final official visit to ASU and flips 
Elijah Badger is a two-way standout who has a lot of potential. I like him a little bit more on the offensive side of the ball. He's really dynamic. He's got some explosive ability in the open field. And then probably my favorite signee that they got is LV Bunkley Shelton uh, from Gardena Sarah. How many times have we mentioned Sarah as, as the as the school that's producing the USC receiver? Uh, the next big thing for the Trojans, well, I think LV is going to be that for uh, for ASU. You know, he had the best week out of anyone at the Polynesian Bowl in Hawaii. Um, he's got some swagger. He's got he 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 just fits the bill as a big time Pac-12 receiver for me. He's got the ability to go and, and do things in open space. Uh, gets open early in his routes. He's a really dynamic uh, pass catcher who has some ability to 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 get away from a defense in the open field. So um, those are the three headliners at the receiver position. And Jaden Daniels is going to have a lot of fun, I think, now with uh, maybe some new toys there in Tempe. When uh, ASU sort of went, you know, uh, outside the box and hired Herm Edwards and everyone was uh, panning the hire, including us. And uh, you know, one of the things, though, you would talk about is imagine him and her recruits, you know, talking to parents in their home. He's going to kill it. And it seems like he's doing that. But it's also the staff he's put together. What, what, what do you think from this ASU coaching staff as far as how they're recruiting? I think he's he's kind of just taken a step back and allowed the assistants to do a lot of it. You know, he's maybe kind of the face and and he maybe makes an appearance or, or shows up, uh, you know, when it's important. But for the most part, Antonio Pierce is the guy leading the charge there. You know, former uh, JUCO linebacker, Super Bowl winning player for the New York Giants, uh, head coach at Long Beach Poly. So from all levels, he has a lot of knowledge, and I think that's really attractive. He's got the personality. Uh, he's relatable to a lot of the players in Southern California, and they've already said that that's going to be their home base. Uh, similarly to what Oregon has done and what Mario Cristobal has said, that they need to recruit L.A. to be successful. Well, ASU's following that same footprint on the Pac-12, sides, uh, Pac-12 South side of things and really capitalizing on USC and UCLA's just ineptitude and, 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 and not being able to... To, to capitalize you know I, I think ASU now with Jaden Daniels he's a Southern California player they got a, a a really good batch of players from the Inland Empire and from from LA and from up in the valley like when we're talking about Johnny Wilson so they're they're doing a lot of work uh in the state and up and down you know from in, in terms of their staff you know I mentioned Chris Hawkins earlier he's going to take a new role and and he's in his short time at USC had proven to be a really good recruiter and a guy that could connect with recruits uh Prentice Gill who they who they stole away from Oregon and, and their recruiting staff he's now going to be recruiting for ASU Tony White is 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 a guy that has a lot of experience recruiting the west coast um they, they just have a staff now um, that that gets it and and is allowed to kind of do its thing uh, and then you know Herm Edwards is still able to connect with families I think that's the big thing that's where he comes in on the in-home visits and he's able to close the deal because the parents know who Herm Edwards is uh, and then you know the the assistants handle a lot of the other stuff and then um, just looking at the class I mean obviously with only 19 guys but definitely taking a few transfers are they done are there still some guys out there what's what's the potential for them to even close in a little bit stronger yeah I think the biggest question mark for them is whether or not they're able gonna they're able they're able to lock up uh, will Schaefer who's a who's an in-state linebacker at Saguaro um, uh, probably a top 20 top 25 player in the state of, of Arizona 
they they've actually actually offered him a blue shirt opportunity because of, of their limited spots. Um, and this was, you know, kind of USC's trademark a few years ago, right, Ryan, where they're able yeah. to get a, a guy like Deontay Burnett to take a spot in the future class and kind of delay his enrollment, but still able to kind of work out with the team. That's one of the situations now that we're seeing with Will Schaefer at ASU. So he's a player who has gotten offers from Washington State, Arizona, a couple others um, in the Pac-12, but he grew up an ASU fan. It sounds like he'll stick there, but I think that's the biggest question mark. And then whether or not he decides that a blue shirt is what he wants to do. All right, that's uh, wrapping it up for the Pac-12 South uh, as far as our signing day preview. Like we said, next week we'll do the signing day. It will be more of a recap, but same sort of thing. There's just not that many prospects that haven't signed yet with the Pac-12 North in Brandon Huffman. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back, answer your questions about the Pac-12. All right, we're back here on the podcast of champions. We still got Blair and Gulo with us. We don't have a lot of questions this weekday, but we should get Blair involved. You want Blair involved in some of these off-season weird Let's- questions? Let's get Blair involved. Hopefully there's a weird one. I think these are all probably kind of doo-doo. I mean, there's only three of them, and one of them's Hithlidae. Oh, man. Uh, well, the first one is Will in New York. He said, question for the pod. Hey, guys. If you two, we're going to we're gonna make it three now, were each allowed to be a Pac-12 commissioner for a day and implement one change, what would that change be for each of you? Let's say the one change you cannot make is change the official Pac-12 location. That's too obvious and easy to help the conference from a financial standpoint. Outside of that, what would you do? Thanks, Will, in New York City. I would make every game at 9 a.m. I think that's fair. I think that works. I think that would be smart. <laughs> um, actually, really, just um, I would like no games to kick off after like 8 p.m. That'd be great. Like after 8 p.m. Eastern is what I'm saying. So you're just doing this from personal, like, I don't want to Yeah, no, play. pure selfish. Yeah, almost spite, but not quite. But yeah, pure selfishness. Okay, well, I'm sorry that Dave did not take your question seriously, uh, Will in New York City. Uh, I will, and I think that talking about missing the the uh, college football playoff for three years in a row, I would say until the ACC and the SEC want to get on board and have nine conference games, the Pac-12 will go back from nine to eight. So I would say... Back that off. That's a you know extra half loss for everybody. I think that could help get a team into the college football playoff from the Pac-12. I think that needs to be pr- the priority, and the the easiest way to do that, or at least easiest way to make it the path to the college football playoff a little bit easier in my mind would be to do an eight game conference schedule instead of nine. I would I would start punishing some of these officials and referees um, in a very public way. Like I'd I'd maybe keep a tally or a scoreboard of of their deficiencies or where they're getting things wrong or uh, kind of keep stats of 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 like missed calls or or, or this wasn't pi so it kind of you know it'd be cool it'd be do like a fantasy league of some sort too with some of these officials um, I feel like the transparency and the ability for the fans to know that their product is being judged and refereed accurately um, would allow for better refereeing. I think everyone would kind of be on their toes a bit more. Um, I don't know. I, I think that's a huge problem because 
not only is the Pac-12 not doing things nationally where they're winning games or, or being in the mix for the college football playoff, but then for the most part, it's really unwatchable. You know, I think a lot of people would be okay with the Pac-12 being whatever, or being kind of a fun, you know, maction in a way uh, where, you know, I tune into Oregon State and Washington State on a random Thursday night. But instead, I know that if I do turn the channel and watch that game, it's just going to be a ref show. Uh, there's going to be missed calls left and right. And it's just not a really attractive product. So I think I would attack it on that side of things. I like that one. I watch every I watch every minute of these stupid games, which I think says some bad things. But it's also me. your but job. Yeah. It's your job, right? Kinda. I mean, kind of. Is this really a job if we don't get paid any money? <laughs> we get paid we're a like, little uh, for this. We're like college football athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There, there's a little exactly. bit of a stipend. We're doing this for love of the game. We're just getting reps. We you do. know, that's all we're doing. Uh, I do like that. I mean, they talked this last off season about more transparency, and there was like two like official like videos or whatever they put out early on, but there's, it's not what the fans wanted. And I, I like what Blair's saying, like there's going to be, you don't need to address every single bad call, but there's just been a bunch. And I think, you know, being able to reprimand that. And I think if you're a referee and you know, Hey, I'm going to get reprimanded. Uh, maybe they won't throw as many flags too. Uh, I mean, I think the Pac-12 has more of a too many flag problem than a not enough flag problem. Um, so maybe you would be some incentive there to not throw as many flags, at least make the game more watchable. Yeah, for sure. All right. We ready for a uh, day? Uh, yeah, let's do it. All right. This is, uh, at the Skane gates, which is, I believe an Iliad reference. So we're talking Homer. We're talking the Trojans. Ah, okay. Okay. I like that. Cool. 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 All right. Uh, Ryan. I enjoyed the first part of your lucid and well-written deep dive into USC's recruiting woes. Please give my compliments to your ghostwriter. Hitler Day. I wrote that myself, but I interviewed. And I, there, are, there are only two. Right As of right now, there are, I'm doing a six-part series of how bad USC recruiting is. There was just a lot of topics. I interviewed Blair. I interviewed Brandon Huffman. I interviewed Greg Biggins. So I, I did write it, but there's a lot of quotes from them, so I didn't write that part. I'm surprised it's only yeah. six parts. Yeah. <laughs> Blair, I like that. Nice. Yeah. While assembling my returning production charts for 2020, I was impressed not only by how much USC is bringing back from its 2019 starters, but how solid their numbers are given the pretty dire injury situation last year. I attached a chart that maps it out below. I hope I didn't miss anything. Uh, you can tell me in a second. Ryan, whether he did. Uh, what strikes me as odd is that the losses don't really line up with the weeks when USC has the most injuries. If anything, it looks like the opposite. They're relatively healthy against BYU, Washington, Notre Dame, and Iowa. They won five of their final, final six regular season games, despite that being the worst stretch in terms of injuries. And the lone loss during that time to Oregon was when they had all but two of the defensive players back to start the game, and it was the last time they had the complete offensive line. It might be that the Slovis and Hufunga injuries were more important than the rest since those are leaders of their respective squads but then how do you reconcile that with fink beating utah or hufunga being in for the dreadful defensive performances against byu notre dame and iowa i'm tempted to say the backups must be playing better than the starters and the coaches made poor roster choices what do you boys think of that theory before ryan answers i'll say yes exactly right but ryan please answer so what are you saying exactly right to that there's just poor roster choices that, yeah, that they made horrific roster choices. And actually, if you inverted 
their decided running back depth chart from the beginning of the year, it would have been more accurate than the one that they settled on. Yeah, I like if you literally reversed their running back depth chart, that would have been a better depth chart. Yeah, it is, I get what he's saying, and there's a there's a pretty big eye chart here. Um, not not like our buddy was it is it uh. Andrew. Andrew. Andrew 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 kills it with he the does but this is so like when you look at showing where guys are are out and yeah it's weird that USC go you know wins five of their last six now a lot of that had to do with the schedule and they were facing guys within you know when you play Cal and Chase Garbers is out or you play ASU and Jaden Daniels is out it's a little bit different but USC did win five of the last six and Marquis Stepp who I think you know looked like their best running back I think David agrees was out for all those games. So it's kind of uh, interesting um, when you look at it that way. But, yeah, I, I think the schedule was front-loaded. And I feel like even though they were healthier in the early part of the season, um, you know, there were still some issues with just the, you know, they went 3-3 three and three to start the season. There was issue, you know, coaching issues. There's all kinds of issues on this team. So even though they're healthy, I don't think injuries were really – a big part of the entire record. It was just more about by the end of the season, the schedule was easier. Keaton Slovis was playing better and they just, they looked like a much better team until they ran into an actual team in Oregon and they got, they got thumped and, and, and same thing happened with Iowa, but it was, they made it work on offense, you know, running backs or not. I, I just don't think that had that big of an impact. And I kind of think JT Daniels would have, had similar success to what Slovis did. I don't know if he would have thrown for 400 yards four of the last five games or whatever it was, something like that. But I think he looked good in the, the half he was in. It was just a much better system. So, yeah, I think injury well, – I don't think injuries were much of an excuse uh, this season, Hitler Day. Blair, any thoughts? I, I know you can't see the chart, but any thoughts on uh, UFC overall? Yeah, Um Maybe don't go into the season with so much uncertainty at your head coaching position. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think from a from a depth chart standpoint, the thing about USC is that they've got so much talent and so much star power that when something isn't going right on one end, there's going to be a guy that can step in and do it just as good, if not better. So that creates a lot of maybe misrepresentation from the fan base. I think there's unrealistic expectation there because let's say uh, a running back isn't performing and then you put in step and and he has a seven-yard gain and he looks the part, right? Uh, Well, you know, obviously everyone's going to call for him to get the ball. Uh, You do the the same at receiver. We saw it at the quarterback position where JT Daniels hadn't really looked the way he should and then Keaton Slovich does. You know, I just think that their talent and their depth chart is different than every other Pac-12 program. So when things aren't going right, there's always a plan B, a plan C, a plan D that fans want, and that just creates a little bit more angst. So uh, that's my analysis. Yeah, that's a good chart, though. Uh, so if you can't, you can't see the chart, but Hitler Day marks a, a, a gray X where a player got hurt during the game and came out. And then like a triple X if the player uh, was just out for that game. And it's a it's it's pretty interesting to see, you know, what's going on there. But I, I it just doesn't seem like there's a big correlation between where their injuries were and and how they played. Um, you know, Matt Fink beating Utah is kind of inexplicable. You know, like how did that happen? He looked pretty terrible. That was good. That was at home. He looked pretty terrible on the road against Washington, which wasn't as good of a team. As Utah, it's just to me. There's just still a whole lot of talent on the the roster. Uh, losing a guy like Talanoho Funga for the Oregon game would it made that big of a difference? I, I probably not. 
Uh, all right, Dave, we got one last one. This is from Bobby. He said, uh, it's about the USC mascot. He said, I had a question about the USC Trojans. If they're Trojans, why does their logo and Tommy Trojan depict a Roman centurion? The legend is that Romulus and Remus left Troy and founded Rome, but that doesn't make Trojans synonymous with Romans, even if it's true, which it probably isn't since Troy is uh, a modern-day Turkey, is in modern-day Turkey. And he's put asterisks there. A Sun Devil fan asks who has the mascot that might make the least sense in the conference. Thanks, Ryan, and absolutely nobody else from Bobby. Uh, you'd probably thank Blair. if He, he would have thanked Blair if he knew that, but... He's not thanking you. Well, no, me, ASU me, fans me. don't like me. At oh, all. yeah. There was a well, Dylan Sterling Cole uh, hate there. Uh, he, I bumped him down from four stars to three stars at some point, and they just lit me up. Uh, I think it was after a Semper Fidelis Bowl week, and I was like, "Hey, this kid's not a four star," and we bumped him down to three. Obviously, it came down to the fact that I covered the Semper Fidelis All-American Bowl and I got thrown under the bus, and the issue fans have never let me forget it. But who got the last laugh when Dylan Sterling Cole entered the transfer portal? You were right. <laughs> um, well, Bobby, um, I have some education for you. Uh, Tommy Trojan is actually a fairer depiction of a Greek hoplite uh, rather than a Roman centurion. Um, so that's why you're seeing um, the the weird little crest. Now, the sword is interesting. Uh, the sword does look more like a gladius, which was the uh, centurion's weapon, or the, the legionary's weapon, which is a short stabbing sword. Uh, but the weird crested helmet, um, the circular shield indicates that he was a Greek hoplite. If you, if you remember your legionary... Legionnaire, uh, they had um, the big square rectangular shields, those big kind of big pieces of steel. Um, so anyway, that's he, he's probably a, a hoplite. But why? So the Trojans, I think, would be best understood. The ancient Trojans um, who were on the coast of Turkey, they were basically Greeks. I mean, they looked the same. It was the same deal. Like they were all the same kind of people, um, you know, in as much as any of these people like actually existed in any real way. Um, they were, they were pretty much the same deal. So yeah, it's all Greek and, uh, he's, he's more of a Greek soldier than a, uh, than a, than a Roman. All right. Thanks. So, so there you Thanks, go. Bobby. I think that that probably explains it better than I would. Um, cause I'm not, don't know all that kind of stuff. The sun devil though. That's a, that's a weird one. Uh, Blair, what are your thoughts? So I know that the sun devil fans don't like you. Are you a fan of the sun devil mascot? Um, I don't mind it. Um, I, I, I appreciate like cartoon looking mascots. They make it really look old and relic and kind of fun. Um, he, the actual mascot that's on the sidelines is a, is a bit creepy, uh, cause his facial <laughs> expression is just a little, a little off. Um, if you listen to our pot, our recruiting podcast, we had a story, um, talking about how a recruit, and his parents are, are very religious and, and very into, you know, God and the Bible and, and all that. And the Sun Devils were recruiting him very, very hard and heavily. And for a long time, that recruit wanted to sign there and commit there. But the parents would not allow him because of the Sun Devil logo. And wow. The name of this of the mascot and... The kid ended up signing with with ASU this this last class. It's Daniel Nagata, and if you see it and you go back and and check the tapes, 
you could see the family at his announcement during the Under Armour game on ESPN. None of them are wearing any Sun Devil logos. It just the shirts are just they just say Arizona State, and he pulls on a hat and it has the Sun Devil pitchfork. Um, so there's a little uh, there's a little recruiting tie-in to the question. That's that's amazing, man. It's the Arizona State Sun Devils. So you you see what Herm Edwards is having a battle. Yeah, so he's got a battle. Well, he didn't realize that the Devils like remember there one of those press conferences. Someone said they were from like asudevils.com or whatever it was and he's like devils it's like i don't think he realized i was like the mascot at the time not at all someone had just woken him up too i think so he was a little grumpy <laughs> but we always have like these uh so we get weird questions in the off season i'm a little disappointed in the questions this week dave i'm not going to be honest I'm, I'm gonna be honest but we'll get like which mascot would win if there was like a you know battle royale it's it's hard to go against the sun devil because there's like these mythical qualities to it like it you assume they're going to have powers more than anything else, any other mascot in the conference. Yeah, and it's got that pitchfork around, so it's got a weapon. I mean, yeah, I I I do like ASU's chances to win any mascot battle. Yeah. Well, it's it's a it's a uh, any kind of mythical creature is going to have a real chance. Um, like if you add magic to the equation, it's just hard to you know really bet against that because you don't know like the full extent of the powers, right? Like, does the Sun Devil have the power of the flame? Like, I would think. I don't know. You throw fireballs. I mean, certainly, at no, 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 no mere human is going to stand against that. Now, a laser bear, um, <laughs> as we all know that a Bruin is, maybe, maybe it'll have a chance. Um, I mean, the but, the tree, yeah. the tree from Stanford for sure would be just ignited, right, by by the Sun Devil. Um, yeah, and I mean, like, you're talking about ducks. Like, what's a duck going to do against a Sun Devil? Are they laser ducks, or they're just regular ducks? No, just a duck, man. Just Donald walking around out there. No, beavers could build something and like set a trap. Like they could. And, and the know, beaver be- also has the chainsaw. And he also has a chainsaw. Yes, that's true. That's true. That's a great point. Great point. Um, a buffalo is hard to take down, but man, hard hard to bet against a sun devil. Yeah. Hard to bet against a sun devil. Awesome. Well. Unless you guys have anything else, uh, we'll wrap it up with Blair. Blair, we went like an hour and 40 minutes. You, dude, you took all this time out of your day. We appreciate that, man. I don't look – I mean, two days until signing day, you think I have anything else to do? <laughs> Not anymore. And you mentioned No, there, that- there, there has been actually some commitments uh, that have broken – but none of them are Power Five or Pac-12, so oh, okay. um, I wouldn't be able to tell them on here, anyways, for uh, you know contractual reasons. Um, but no, I, it, I've had I've had a blast. I I love talking football and college football and recruiting and and all that with with you guys. So, what better way to spend a Monday night? And let me apologize because I can't rely on David to do anything. We haven't even talked about the West of the Rest podcast that you do with Brandon Huffman. Maybe you want to tell uh, folks about that. If you like, you like West Coast recruiting. These guys are on top of it. Yeah, like how many people are still listening to this right now? Um, no, I can edit yeah, this, put this in the beginning or something. No, like no, don't do that. We are, yeah. So our, our title is the West of the Rest podcast. You can find us uh, wherever you find your podcasts. It's me and Brandon Huffman who will be the host or, or the uh, co-host uh, for me every week. But he will be a guest on on this podcast next week, right? To to discuss the Pac-12 yep. North recruiting, and uh, we have a little fun with it. You know, we don't we don't go into the hips and the the way they turn and the footwork and and the arm strength and this and that. 
that. Like we try to keep it light and fun and we talk college football um, topics uh, for prospects up and down the West Coast. We we have a little saying. It's from the Cascades to the Palisades and, and from the Desert Ridges to the Bay Bridges. I mean, we've got so much alliteration going on uh, in, in the West of the Rest podcast. And um, the, the premise is basically talking about west coast recruiting and then leaving the rest of the country uh you know to kind of fend for themselves we don't really touch that so yeah it's a lot of fun so we uh usually publish every thursday or friday depending on our schedules um and uh yeah it's a lot of fun nice uh anything else you got dave I've got nothing else. I'm spent. Right. Thanks, Blair. Really appreciate you coming on. Uh, we'll have you on again sometime in the next four years. <laughs> All right. Looking forward to it. Sounds good. All right. Let's go to wrap it up for this edition of the Podcast of Champions. David Woods, I'm Ryan Abraham, and our special guest, Blair Angulo, doing a great job. Make sure you check out Best of the Rest. Wait. What? what rest? It, it's, nope. it's, it's, west. Nope. it's West of the Rest, my guy. Best of the Rest of the West. Uh <laughs> If we were in Japan, it'd be west of the west of the rest, but we're yes. on the west coast, so it's it's west of the rest. West of the rest. All right. Uh, it's good. And a lot of iterations that I can't even say, and I'm just dead. I've, this, I'm like three hours of podcasting in today, and I'm ready to shut it down. So that's going to wrap it up. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Podcast of Champions, and we will talk to you next time. Bye.